KMTT, Ki Nitzion Tetzei Torah, welcome back. And today is Wednesday, and in this summer's man, the Wednesday share will be given by Harav Moshe Tarragon, a share on ethical character, midot, ethical attributes and character, Harav Moshe Tarragon. The previous share discussed the um, Rambam's recommendation for character development, known as the Mida Benonit, or the Golden Mean, and based on a Yushalmi in Chagiga, the Rambam had advocated a middle-of-the-road approach, again, not to a religious performance, but to the development of human character traits, to be happy constantly, or to be sort of somber and serious, to spend money, or to be more frugal. Various character traits come into all human beings. The Rambam had also discriminated between the approach of the Chacham, who attempts to balance and to achieve in every area of human conduct that equilibrium, and how the Rambam called a Chassid, someone who tries or attempts to tilt or migrate even partially towards one of the poles in a particular area of human character, the Rambam refers to the Chacham's approach as the superior one. He concludes Halacha Hey of Parak Aleph of Hilchos Deos, Umitzuvin Anu Lelechas Bidrachim Elu Habenonim. Most of us, all of us, are required to pursue the middle of the road. They're virtuous and they're balanced. Yashar, according to the Rambam, doesn't just mean virtuous or noble. It also, according to the Rambam, means balance. Yashar means straight, much like a scale would be straight or a road would be straight if it's if it's prepared with balance. Not only are they the balanced approaches, the Rambam concludes, but they're also the the closest way to imitate Hakadosh Baruch Hu. V'halachta bidrachav. These are the ways of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And the Rambam continues to describe a very famous concept of imitatio Dei, to try to imitate HaKadosh Baruch Hu by molding our personal moral character in his fashion, and his likeness. Of course, the novelty in the Rambam is not the introduction of Mahu Afata, imitatio Dei, to try to imitate HaKadosh Baruch Hu morally, but the association between this concept and Midabenonis. It's very, at least on a simple level, seems difficult to reconcile these two issues. What exactly does Mida Benonis have to do with imitating a Kaddish Baruch Hu? Mida Benonis would seem to be a human endeavor to balance out human character and human personality to avoid excesses and extremes. The Rambam um, seems to associate this with a Kaddish Baruch Hu. As the Rambam concludes not only are these actions virtuous and healthy developmentally sound, but they're also the uh, the reflection of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Um, the Rambam in Halacha, in the end of the first parak, provides a final source for Midah Bederness. I mentioned the Shami and Chagiga, which interestingly enough, the Rambam does not quote. And the Rambam cites the Pasuk of Halachta Bidrachav to suggest that Midah Bederness allows us to properly imitate their bonus shalom, or attempt to. In the end of the first parak, the Rambam cites the first human source, so to speak, of Mida Benonis, 
And this is, of course, Avraham Avinu. The Rambam concludes Halach Aleph. Vuhi shalamad Avraham Avinu Levanav. Avraham taught this approach to life to his children. You don't readily see where Avraham taught balance to his children. So the Rambam cites the Pasuk, Ki Yedativ. It's a Pasuk in Vayera, where Kadush Baruch Hu decides to inform Avraham of the pending destruction of stone. And Kadush Baruch Hu justifies this disclosure, because it is a bit of a odd need, so to speak, that God should have to justify his ways to man or inform man of his plans, divine justice and divine punishment. Ki Yedativ Hashem says, Laman asher yitzaves banav v'es acharav I know that he instructs his children, his household, in his way. What is the content of this instruction? V'shamru derech Hashem la'asos tzedakahu mishpat. Interestingly enough, in the Rambam, in the classic Rambam, this Pasuk is truncated. We don't have the entire Pasuk, but the Rambam clearly intended to cite the entire Pasuk as a source for Midah Benonis. Avram instructed his children both in Staka and Mishpat. Now, Staka and Mishpat obviously are antonyms, are antithetical. Staka suggests charity, generosity, kindness, virtue. Mishpat is law, justice, what a person deserves. Staka is not what a person deserves, but what a person needs. In theory, in a particular context, they can conflict. Say, just for example, a Dayan, a judge wants to prosecute one of the litigants, but that litigant may be penurious, may be impoverished. It's a classic question of the Gemara Sanhedrin, whether you should David Amalek try the Gemara Sanhedrin quotes in Davav to reach some sort of chara to reconcile these two conflicting processes. This serves as the source, according to the Rambam, of Midabenoni. The David Amalek realized, at least in the area of justice versus charity and kindness, somehow both had to be taught. And Avraham realized that this would create some sort of balanced, reconciled distillation of the two. Which is a fascinating strategy for me, the Benonis. Very interesting strategy. Luchnesin once spoke about this Rambam. <laughs> we always assume that Mida Benonis is achieved by carefully modulating every area of human experience. Reaching that middle, moderate, Situation which is in no way um, threatened by extremism or what we may call, in a moral sense, fanaticism. The Rambam, by associating Mida Benonis with Avraham Avinu, perhaps, Avraham instructed both tzedakah and mishpat. Presumably, there were moments of absolute tzedakah, of absolute charity and kindness. And there were alternative moments of absolute justice. Again, the Gemara in Sanhedrin suggests pshara, some sort of law-supervised or legally supervised mediation or arbitration as one singular experience which would capture both legal integrity as well as charitable intent. But outside of that particular vehicle of pshara, it would seem that staka and mishpat are irreconcilable and you achieve some sort of combination 
or distillation by sometimes employing tzedakah and other times employing mishpat. So Avram presumably taught his household, his family members, that on certain occasions absolute justice was necessary and irreplaceable to maintain the order of law and, and consequence and um, responsibility and culpability. And other times people just needed charity and, and virtue and kindness and selflessness. By establishing this as the paradigm for all of Mida Benonis, the Rambam may be advising, may be advocating a different strategy to Mida Benonis, that sometimes a person acts in one fashion and other times he acts in the opposite fashion and somehow the two breed a moderation or breed a balanced equilibrium in life. So to take, for example, there are moments of great happiness and gaiety and mirth and then there are moments of sadness and the two extremes yield a happy medium, a happy middle ground. Sometimes a person is very angry and sometimes he's very um, tolerant and the two create a, a larger context of human behavior. So it's very interesting that the two sources, the Rambam cites, or Mirabenonis, are not exactly the sources we would normally associate with Mirabenonis. One is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Yolachta Bidrachav, and then ultimately Avram Avinu's education and, and instruction, moral instruction of his family. Um, in another location, the Rambam had in his parish of Mishnayis, cited not a personal or a, 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 a you know, the Baruch Hu as a being resembling or reflecting Mida Benonis, but a halacha in the Torah, as well as a story in the Torah, which suggests the importance of Mida Benonis. According to the Rambam, part of the Nazir's ambiguity, and Nazir's a very ambiguous personality, the Tanaim already debated whether or not he's considered a sinner, even if he maintains and he adheres to the laws of Nazir. Certainly, he falls out of the expectations of Nazir. Comes into contact with impurity, drinks wine, shaves his head, and that's clearly a sin for not upholding the standards and expectations that he had launched. What about a Nazir who successfully navigates the process of Nazirus? Should he be called a sinner? He brings the Korban Chatas, and the Torah describes his Korban Asher Chatalah as a Chatas in response to a sin. So it's according to some of the Tanaim, it's quoted by several Gemaras, and Nazir is considered a sinner. And the Rambam in his parish of Mishnayis describes his sin as precisely by altering this very delicate balance of Mida Benonis, and in particular in the area of human pleasure and human interaction and interface with our world. We live in a world that Kaddish Baruch Hu delivered to us, and this area and our interface with this world demands that same careful balancing of Mida Benonis. So Judaism certainly frowns upon a life of hedonism and unrestrained indulgence and uncompromising material pleasure. The Ramban in the beginning of Parshas Kedoshim scolds the novel Bishus Hatara, someone who pursues physical and material pleasure, even if it remains within the strict legal parameters of halacha, that conduct is in violation of the principle of Kedoshim to you, of holiness and sanctity and, and separation from our world. But just the same, the Torah does not preach absolute ascetism, ascetism or deprivation. A person cannot fast more than seven days in a row, Shabbos, and the need and the 
halachic requirement to eat on Shabbos will interrupt that seven-day fast. This is a machlokas whether you can fast on Yamtif, but certainly the normative approach to Yamtif demands and obligates eating, and not just Shabbos and Yamtif, but the general landscape, the general map of halacha doesn't frown upon physical interaction or physical experience, but merely sanctifies it and looks for halachic meaning within it. So eating is preceded by brachos and is suffixed by important brachos, which omits their isa. It doesn't sound from the Torah, doesn't sound from the Gemara that these are only secondary adjustments. Well, a person shouldn't eat that much, but if he does eat, then it's to recite a bracha. It sounds as if the Torah intends, not just recognizes, but intends a healthy interaction with our world. Um, the world of sexual interaction is also certainly not many streams of halachic thought is not um, is not belittled, but is seen as a healthy part of normal marital behavior and is carefully um, regimented and addressed. In other areas, physical health and well-being, hygiene. So, in this area, the Nazar begins to alter the natural expected equilibrium of wise Chachamim by swearing um, temperance or by absolving himself or um, creating some sort of absolution. Uh, not to drink wine, not to come into contact with the dead, not to shave his hair. And he's performing this in a very public fashion for others to see and perhaps to be inspired by, and according to the Rambam, inappropriately inspired. So his sin is not a classic legal sin of ingesting uh, inappropriate food or behaving. Rather, he is altering the meat of bitterness and perhaps leading others to alter that. So the Rambam in the, Mar- in the Yad Chazaka doesn't cite the Nazir as a precedent, but in the parish of Mishnayis he does, and he also speaks about Moshe Rabbeinu at the rock, and a classic question plaguing uh, um, Jewish thinkers, what exactly was the severity of Moshe's sin? Why is he, why is he banned from entering Eretz Yisrael? Simply because he hits the rock, instead of speaking to the rock, it would seem to be just as miraculous. And many are more interested, not in Moshe's physical behavior on that day, but in the anger which begins to flare, seemingly, and it's only a limited anger, but from Moshe's perspective, it is severe, and it is unexpected for Moshe to become so enraged. And Moshe employs a term which, again, for us may not have been so dramatic, but for Moshe was very unexpected, and one could say even um, undesirable, Shimunah HaMorim, he calls Am Yisrael rebels. But according to the Rambam, this display of anger is not just a moral offense, but it gets people thinking that if uh, Moshe acted this way, it can't be that he's really angry because Moshe was successful at maintaining the Benonis. So why would he let his anger flare? So it must be, people reason that Akash Baruch Hu is extremely angry, is extremely furious, and Moshe is merely modeling or showcasing, almost artificially expressing anger to demonstrate Akash Baruch Hu's anger. And that may not have been that true. And it was especially a delicate and sensitive moment 40 years after the original generation which had departed Egypt was murdered, was not murdered, but was, was, was uh, already had passed, already had expired in the desert. And a new generation was beginning their march into Eretz Yisrael, and they may have been unsure as to their status. Were they as selected? Were they as privileged? Were they the same 
Am Segula, Mamleches Kohanim, Asa, Schemach, and Feinisharin. As the original generation, so the last thing Kodesh Baruch Hu wanted was for them to feel his unrestrained anger at them. He wanted them to feel confidence in their relationship. And Moshe's anger implied Hakadosh Baruch Hu's anger because they just assumed that Moshe would be capable of with, withholding and restraining his anger because of his Midabenonit experience. So this is the Rambam's description of Midabenonit. It is more or less contained in the first two Parakim of Hilchos Deos. As I mentioned in last week's show, it doesn't apply to religious performance per se, rather to character development, but certainly not to Tara, mitzvahs, Yerashimayim, or even mitzvahs bin Adam Lechaver, or in the mechanical sense, staka, chesed, nicham avelim, but it does apply to human character aspects and traits. In the second parak, the Rambam re- doesn't really retreat, but does allow for two traits to be seen and viewed outside of the context of Midabenus. There are two traits, the Rambam says, which a person should be extreme or cultivate, so to speak, extremism. One is humility. A person should avoid arrogance as best as possible, even by migrating, even by developing an extreme, humble approach. And second of all, from anger. A person should try as best as possible to maintain calm, tranquility, rather than quick, flaring anger. Now, the Rambam doesn't really describe the reason that in either case the Mida Benonis should be uh, replaced with an extreme type of behavior. Is it because these two traits are more dangerous? Is it because they're more ubiquitous? Hard to know in the Rambam. But I'll use this Rambam as a segue to the next year. The next year, or the next topic, the discussion of humility. The Rambam's source for the fact that in the area of Anava, or Anivas, different ways of referring to it, of humility and modesty, meekness, lack of presumption, that midabenonis should not be pursued, but rather an extreme form of humility should be adopted, I'm going to cite several sources. One source is, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu. In Parshish Baloscha, the Torah describes Moshe in the aftermath of his being assailed by Miriam and Aharon. Vayish Moshe anav mi'od mikol ha'adam asher al p'nei Moshe Rabbeinu was extremely humble, was extremely modest. And the addition or the insertion of the word me'od suggests to the Rambam that this was an extreme modesty. Me'od, rather than a balanced modesty. Picking up on this term me'od is a mission in Avos, and the Rambam comments on this mission as commentary to Avos. Avos, Perak Dalid, Mishnah Dalid, Rebbe Levitas Ish Yavne Omer, me'od, me'od. Have a shval ruach. Mi'od, mi'od, have a shval ruach. So, almost playing off of this word in Baloscha, Rabbi Levitas, we don't have much recorded in his name, but this is probably his most famous statement, demanded, Mi'od, mi'od, have a shval ruach. 
So the Rambam in Hilchos Deos, Perak Gimel, Perak Beis, Gimel, excuse me, cites Moshe Rabbeinu, Anav Mi'od, cites Rabbi Levitas, and then begins to describe the dangers and the reasons that modesty and humility demands extreme conditioning. The Rambam cites the Gemara, Kola Magbia Libo, Gemara in Sota, Kafar Bi'ikar, that arrogance, haughtiness, hubris is equivalent to apostasy, to ignoring HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Shenemar veram levavecha b'shachachtas Hashem elokecha. Haughtiness of heart is equivalent, is equated to Pasek in Devarim Perakhes. Veram levavecha b'shachachtas Hashem elokecha. So there are theological implications to haughtiness, to Ramamus Halev. Um, and then after quoting this Pasuk in Devarim Parakhas, the Ramam concludes by quoting a Gemara in Sota. Gemara continues, having quoted this beginning of the Gemara, is Amar B'yachram Shemashim B'yachai Kal Adam Sheyeshbo Gasus Ruach Kilo Oved Avodazara And then Rabbi Yochanan said Kilo Kafar Biker. It's interesting that Rabbi Yochanan quoted two different views of the danger of haughtiness. He quoted Rabbi Shimon Bayochai, his, his colleague and his student, that it is tantamount to Avodazara, not to apostasy or to heresy, but to Avodazara. It's based on a word association of the word Toava or Toiva. Toavat Hashem called Gvalev and Lotavi Toiva One can imagine that according to Rabbi, uh, I'm sorry, not, not, not his student, not Rishlakish, excuse me, Shimon Bayochai. So one can imagine according to Mishim Bayochai, the Avodazara aspect would be self-deification, self-aggrandizement, not deification in the ritual sense, but self-interest, and channeling energies, interests, thoughts, resources to another address, to an alternate um, interest, in this case self-interest, is likened to Avodazara. Yochanan himself considered apostasy, that even if it doesn't express itself in self-interest, self-evaluation can still block vision, interaction, and awareness of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. There seem to have been two very different angles by which Rishim Bayochai and Rabbi Yochanan had attacked the dangers of haughtiness and arrogance. But the Gemara in Sota continues, the continuation of the Gemara of course, a very interesting debate, and the Rambam sides very clearly with one position. Um, many of the Amarayim quoted in the continuation of that Gemara, the initial stages of the Gemara in Sota, Dabdaladim and Beis, but the continuation of the Gemara is on the bottom of Ham and Aleph. So, some positions stated that a Tamachacham requires some degree of arrogance and haughtiness of self-worth of recognizing the importance of being a Talmud Chacham um, for example Rava said Bishamta de Isbe Bishamta de Lesbe Rava was critical of those who have arrogance and he was equally critical of those who are too submissive and too underconfident and don't allow that ego to both value the importance of Torah as well as create the confidence of success and growth and advance in Torah. 
Whereas Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak argues with Rava and claims Lo minei lo miktsata, lo minei lo miktsata. I don't want any humility, uh, no arrogance whatsoever. Lo minei lo miktsata. So the Rambam cites that final position of Rav Nachman. Vod Amru b'shamta man disbegasus ruach vafilo miktsata. So the Rambam disagrees with Rava. So this is a very interesting debate as to what role arrogance, haughtiness, I shouldn't use those terms because those are already extreme and morally offensive forms of self-evaluation. But should self-evaluation play a role in religious growth? And there are clearly two very different camps and schools of thought, um, and in general, religious growth in a particular Talmud Torah. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai claimed, as a Mishnah Navos, if you learn a lot of Torah, al tachzik tovaliyatzmecha shouldn't feel satisfied or accomplished because you are created to study Torah. You're merely fulfilling your natural expectations and there shouldn't be any sense of accomplishment or attainment. Much of the original Musr was developed at breaking human pride and instilling a sense of meekness and almost self-annihilating humility. And there was a bit of a backlash. The school of Slobodka, the Musr school of Slobodka, spoke not of shiftless Adam, but of godless Adam, and particularly godless Adam for a Talmud Chacham. A person should feel that pride at having committed to Torah, to Yerashamayim, to, to the world of Yeshiva. The Talmudim of Slobodka were dressed in the nicest European style and smoked the finest Cuban cigars and walked with an air of nobility and re- almost regality which wasn't, um, of course, self-infatuation as much as self-evaluation to both radiate the covet of Torah they felt, but also to reinforce it to themselves and employ that attitude as motivation for continued Torah success. Um, the Rambam himself speaks in Hilchus Talmud Torah, quotes a very famous Gemara in Yoma about Kesar Torah, people who study Torah. He employs that phrase several times, Bishlosha Kisarim Nechtur Yisrael. And again, the word Ketar Torah, a crown of Torah, is a metaphor. No one actually wears a crown. But the metaphor itself is highly provocative and empowering. A person who studies Torah should see himself as a prince wearing a crown, wearing a jewel. Many images of ten- in, in Tanakh associate Torah with jewelry with uh, fine uh, ornaments, whether it's Pesukim and Mishle, or even some of the um, Big Day Kahuna, Vyasisa, Big Day Kodesh, Lara Nachicha, Bechavod, Uli Sifares. So, the notion of self-worth and self-evaluation and its utility and vitality to sustain Torah growth, that notion is not unanimously um, but not unanimously viewed. The Rambam, at least in Chosdeos, is adamant about the dangers of arrogance and demands an extreme position tilting towards humility. Now, perhaps the Rambam stressed the importance of humility and felt that it was a bit different from most traits, not only because of the danger of arrogance, but because humility itself may serve as a porthole 
to all other or many other areas of religious growth. Sepasik in Mishlei, Ekev Anava Yiras Hashem, Osher Vekavod Vechayim. In the wake of Anava, the yield is Yiras Shamayim, and of course that yield would be Osher, Kavod, and Chayim, life, and true Kavod, and without delving into the particular meaning of Osher, Kavod, and Chayim, but the first part of the Pasuk in Mishlei suggests Anava, the trait of humility, not just as an important trait, but a porthole. Not just as morally significant and the alternative of arrogance being morally repugnant, but by excelling or conditioning humility, many other religious traits will emerge. Picking up on this Pasuk in Mishlei, Rabbi Akiva, in Perki Avos, it's, ex- it's expanded in Avos Drabinasan, Rabbi Akiva spoke about Siag Le'anava Yiras Achet. Rabbi Akiva spoke about the relationship between humility and Yiras Achet. Here, Yiras Achet doesn't serve as the aftermath of Anava, but as a facilitating or enabler of Anava. Siag Le'anava Yiras Achet, by conditioning fear of Chet, person may achieve higher levels of humility. Of course, everything that serves as an enabler is also a yield. So the Rambam is unclear as to why Anava is different. Again, he quotes the Gemara Sota, and the Gemara Sota suggests the theological implications, the theological dangers of arrogance. Interestingly enough, when the Torah warns against arrogance, the Rambam cited the Pasuk from Nevarim Parakhes, There's a similar danger being scripted or being predicted in Pasha Shoftim when the Torah describes the role of the Melech. And of course, the Melech's struggle with humility and arrogance is even more um, notable, dramatic, and obviously difficult because of his station, because of the availability of authority and affluence. So for this reason, the Torah demands certain unique expectations from the Melech. And one of them is to write a second Sefer Torah. Every Jew is responsible to write one Sefer Torah, but the Melech is obligated to write a second Sefer Torah, to carry it with him, as opposed to leaving it at home. Presumably carrying a Sefer Torah in every stop, in every locale, will drive home or reinforce the that may be more difficult for a Melech to secure. And the final Pasuk of the Parsha of the Melech begins, or to prevent that unique arrogance imperiling the king, Again, you sense, just like the Pasuk in Mishlei spoke about the relationship between Anava and Yiras Shamayim, Yiras Chait, as a portal, this Pasuk also recognizes Roman Mushalev, the dangers of arrogance, not simply because the trade is so powerful and is so morally repugnant of arrogance, but the, the challenge, the drama of building humility may just determine overall religious fitness. So there are three reasons, conceivably, that humility may be a candidate for exclusion from Mida Beidonis. One is its danger, two is its moral offense, and three is its overall value as a launching pad 
for religious experience. In Mirz Hashem, in our next year, we'll discuss the details of humility, the particular dangers of arrogance, more thorough and comprehensive discussion of Anava.